Hey, folks, we're back here joined by the uh, Senate Rules Chairman, Senator John Coghill. How are you, Senator? Doing very well, thank you. We go back quite a ways. I think I first met you back in 2011 Whoa. when I was running for the Senate. Uh-huh. I saw you at some of the uh, <laughs> all the events I was going to. And yes. I think people were like, who is this guy? What's he doing here? <laughs> well, I stuck my hand out because I figure anybody who's willing to, to step up, run for office, uh, make his views known, got a lot of respect for me. Well, and, you know, I reached out to, when I first got involved, I reached out to a lot of folks and some, uh, maybe maybe more than others, didn't really have the time to meet with me. But you right. did meet with me. Yeah, uh, we had breakfast a couple times, and you always gave me. Uh, remember, you had your your list of um, was it your rules or the, your your kind of when you were first ran for office, the things that you would never. Those are my must-haves. Yeah, must have, yeah, right. Yeah. I remember so you showed me that. I had uh, written down uh, what were my non-negotiables. I think is what I called them back mm-hmm. then, and uh, and I've stayed true to them down through the years. Yeah, no, I'll never forget. Yeah, I think you had the original, was it the original piece of paper? Yep, sure did. In your briefcase. Uh, I still have it. I I read it a couple times a year uh, to to see uh, if I'm still staying true, because down here you kind of do drift a little bit, and uh, you have to work with people, but you want to make sure that whatever principle you came here on is what remains. Mm-hmm. And But you still have to be able to be flexible enough to work with people in a broad array of areas. And so far, so good. Uh, even 20 years into this. I was going to say, so you were first elected in 99, right? 1999, yeah. So we're 2000, so we're coming up on your, this is your 10th term, right? I was elected in 98, sworn in in 99, so this is 20th year. Wow, okay. So at that time, 2000 era, that was similar kind of fiscal. The price of oil was way down. In 2000, uh, we went into uh, a uh, price decline again. Uh, our volume was still uh, fairly good. We were still, I think, seven or eight hundred thousand dollars barrels a, a day, uh, but yeah, the uh, the price had dropped significantly, and our decline of production was definitely starting to be noticed. And so uh, the percent of market value came up using some of the earnings of the permanent fund. At that point, I was not willing to do that without a vote of the people. So we did. We had a uh, remember. We had a uh, a vote of the people that was an advisory vote. Didn't, wasn't it like 80%? Or yeah, something? it was 80% said, don't mess with it. And that's what I figured. Uh, but a lot of people in the legislature didn't think of that. I voted for the concept based on the fact that we go out to the people. And I wanted to know uh, where were we. And we weren't anywhere near ready to do that yet, uh, to change the way the dividend was structured because government hadn't changed uh, that much. Mm-hmm. They had done a five-year plan uh, when I first got in, and they were in year two of a five-year plan. But what happened was they began to move money around uh, and call it cuts, and uh, it just it didn't work. It's like, uh, what's it called? Uh, creative accounting, right? Creative <laughs> accounting, yeah. So- and, and it was because of downward pressure, and we did cut some, but it wasn't near as much as, as we had portrayed because we did move some around and the CBR constitutional budget reserve did have money in it, Mm -hmm. but it also uh, cost money to go to it because at that point we were in the majority and the, uh, uh, the minority was able to negotiate uh, a higher value for their constituency, which had to happen many, many years beyond that too. So let's talk a bit about kind of before that. So you, 
you, you have a long history, your family in, in yeah. Fairbanks and Nanana. Um, why did you decide to, I mean, I know your father recently, I'm sorry to hear, passed away, but yes, he was he did. kind of a pioneering guy. And well, he's 93 and he did a good job. So I'll just recount some of the things that he did that I think were uh, not only good, but spectacular. Uh, he got on the school board as a 19-year-old. Uh, he was a mayor as a 22-year-old. He, wow. he was in, in Nana? Yeah, in Nana. He was on the uh, territorial legislature in the House of Representatives in the early 50s. He was on the Constitutional Convention in 55. And uh, then he was in the first uh, state Senate in 1960. Uh, when Bill Egan got elected governor, he went into the Senate. And so uh, I got to shake hands with the outgoing territorial governor, which was Stepovich, and shake hands with the uh, new governor, Bill Egan, in my Cub Scout uniform. <laughs> oh, wow. So, but dad was also a businessman. So he, uh, in the 50s, while he was doing all the political stuff, he started a fuel oil distributorship. Uh, while he worked in a grocery store, we were merchants, basically. And uh, during my teenagers in the 60s, that business became quite a concern, quite a going business. We were uh, selling fuel to the coal mine, used to build a coal mine. Clear Air Force Station was being built. The road was being built. So we were going gangbusters. Still, a lot of the fuel traffic went up and down the Tanana-Yukon River. So Dad hit, at the right time in history, a very good business, and it did very well up until the late 80s. Well, he was then elected in the Senate again in the late 80s. Uh, finally, in the 90s, 90 to 94, with Wally Hickel, he was lieutenant governor. Yeah, so that was interesting because um, Hickel ran as Independence Party, right? Uh, I remember it very clearly because... Uh, it was a three-way race, right? Dad had uh, gone as lieutenant governor, and uh, Arlister Jalewski got the nod for governor, and he made a deal with uh, 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 Hickel that if he would go on independent, he would go with them. And they signed up on the Independence Party, Alaska Independence Party. Kind of, kind of like a um, Walker Malott type thing, similar. Yeah, very similar. And, uh, and sure enough, they got elected. And uh, uh, Dad and Hickel uh, did a good job of campaigning. They really liked each other. But when they came to the legislature, the lieutenant governor didn't have quite the horsepower that the governor did. And so they kind of began to diverge and then personalities between the two groups grew. And so Dad became kind of an activist. Uh, so he got a deal with, uh, with uh, Hickel that he would work on the access into Alaska by doing the RS-2477s. That What's became that? Those RS-2477s are the trails and the commerce uh, uh, avenues that were used in Alaska that were uh, an old mining law that said you could have access into mining areas. Okay, based yeah, on I've, this. I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of this before. So he took that as a special project and, under Governor Hickel, and that was one area where they really agreed. He went to work on it, and it became a fundamental and foundational document to what we use today and why we can uh, kind of go to the federal government and say, hey, we want to work on a federal. I mean, state land beyond federal land, you have to give us access based on these RS-2477s. So what were you doing at that time? What were you? So while Dad was lieutenant governor, I had just finished working in the construction world. Um, I had uh, done everything from running a backhoe to running a loader, uh, building garage doors, building houses. Uh, for, your, for yourself? Or I for... did concrete cutting. No, I, I, 
I worked with Dad for a while, but the more Dad and I worked together, the less we got along. So it, <laughs> and we were two uh, very, very similar characters. I loved him. It was his business, so I didn't need to edge in. So I went off on my own for about 10 or 12 years. And I became a Christian about the time that I got out of the Air Force and began studying theology. I wanted to know why the differences, what I, all the questions everybody asks about who's God, what's my role in so life. So you weren't, all, I mean, I, I know you're religious. You weren't always re- religious? Like? No, no. I was anything but religious up until the time I was 24. In fact, I, really? always, I always tell people, if you want to know some bad stuff, start from when I was about 24 and look back, and you'll probably be able to find enough dirt to bury me. You were like partying? or just... <laughs> I was a party man. I, oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, man. I, 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 was, I always thought you were kind of real... The so nice thing is most of that was hidden because it was five years in the Air Force. Most of it happened in England, and most people won't tell about what happened in England. <laughs> but plus it was before but, uh, social media. No, I was. Uh, stuff. I worked hard, but I played hard. I wasn't a dishonest man to my mom and dad's credit, but I, uh, I liked to party. And like drinking? Or? I, did, I drank enough by the time I was 24. I quit drinking at 24. But I probably drank enough to satisfy my appetite until I'm about 85. That's my so. dad. My dad was in the Navy 25 years, and he quit drinking. You know, I think when I was born, whatever. But he said that yeah. up up until that time, he drank enough, you know, for several lifetimes. So back in those days, it was the Vietnam days. So when I was in the Air Force, and so drinking and smoking marijuana were things that we did. And I played drums. I played in a band, and I, I. Uh, I liked the pubs and I liked the girls. I went, I got married and had divorced. I mean, so I screwed wow, I up. I didn't even know any of this about it. Wow. I screwed up everything a guy could screw up by the time I was 24. At that time, coming back to Alaska. Uh, this, this is all in England. Yeah. Well, it was before I went to England and when I was in England. And when I came home, uh, reality hit in. I, you just can't keep living like this. And so I began searching and, and uh, that's where I became a Christian. And... From that time on, I probably went overboard. I got a little too straight-laced mm-hmm. and uh, uh, probably began judging other people. And so my first couple of years were uh, quite a swing. <laughs> yeah, the pendulum, so, pendulum swing. Yeah, and so, uh, so Dad and I had a hard time getting along partly because of that, partly because we were headstrong in, a, in business uh, strategy. So I went off on my own. And, but I, the reason I told you all that is, for about 10 or 12 years, I began to study and I began to understand the history of the world, the, the theology of the Bible, things like that. And in the process of that, I was able to help several people put their marriages back together, get their life uh, feet back under them, help them spiritually. And it was something that I found that I was pretty good at. And a pastor asked me to come on staff. So for 15 years, I was on staff at a church and they began to help me get credentialing in family counseling teaching, things like that, and uh, worked in the jails. Um, I worked yeah, I've, in the hospitals. I've, I've heard about that before. And so uh, that's what I b- began to do. And my wife and I were on the journey together, so uh, I was raising kids at that time. I had uh, a lot of foster kids that come and go out of my house over that 15-year period. And so at the end of that 15-year period, uh, a guy, uh, Al Vizi, who was my state uh, representative, decided to run for the Senate. And uh, he had vac- he was vacating the House seat. And I was in the political arena because of my right to life views. And so the Republican Party uh, was the best place to do that. So I got involved in the Republican Party uh, probably from about the mid-80s on. Well, uh, I was out knocking on doors, asking people, 
to run for office and they would say things like Cogill, that's a good name. Why don't you do it? <laughs> you know, so it's a good, yeah, good name. Uh, and yeah. Name and dad made a good name for himself and rightfully so. And, uh, uh, so I said, well, I don't do that. And they would say, well, uh, you know, uh, you want me to do it, but you're not willing to do it. Cogill, that's a good name. So I've, I've told that story over and over and over again, but the reality is, uh, it was an open door. Not that dad, dad's name would make me automatically acceptable, but it was a good name. That well, would, probably gave you like a little yeah, what it, or help, helped you a little bit. Exactly. What it does is it, it gives you an automatic opening to people. Where if you're an unknown name, you have to build it. Yeah. Well, dad already built a name, and if he's anything like his uh, dad, well, let's give him a break. And that's what they chose did, to do. Did you have a primary or did you have a general? Or? I had a general election. And uh, funny thing about the primary, my cousin Bob was going to run as a Republican, and I was going to run a public Republican. He's much more liberal than me, and I'm much more conservative. And so we had a lunch together. It would have been Cogill versus Cogill. Oh, Interesting. Man, that, that's a, so, uh, <laughs> that'd, uh, be a, that'd be a, especially for but my business, that'd be a, that'd be an interesting one to cover. Oh, man. So we had a long talk, and I sure enough, I said, okay, cousin, I love you, but I'm going to run. And so then the president of the National Education Association decided to throw her hat in the ring, which kind of took his support base away. And so I ran against a very clever, very credible, nice lady uh, named Claudia Douglas, who is now passed on. Um, but uh, she tried to treat me just like she would treat Alvizi, which they had a lot of vitriol between them. And I just wouldn't run like that. Uh, I, yes, as a Christian, I wanted to treat her with all due respect, but still run for the seat. So I told people, this is what you get if you get me. And then she just beat me up and beat me up and beat yeah, me up. Sometimes you know? that backfires when you go to an And so, and in the middle of the race, somebody said, well, why don't you answer her? And I said, well, I don't mud wrestle with ladies. And that created a lot of humor throughout the rest of the race, you know? And it's uh, funny how sometimes, you know, it's, it's funny how sometimes <laughs> in any campaign, whether it's a local, you know, school board level or even presidential, one thing someone says, yeah. Can, come to define the whole and you can spend months and a year doing something but you can you can say one thing or, or one kind of comment and that kind of starts to define you or to define the race the fact that i was a christian the fact that i was dad's kid i think people were willing to give me the benefit of the doubt she just didn't and i think that did backfire and i tried to treat her as respectfully as i could because she was very knowledgeable it's just that i had a very different philosophy than her and i just happened to live in a district that had a very different philosophy mm -hmm. than her i was a very conservative district and she was a pretty liberal person the, the the one thing i've always said about you and i've told people this is you know um i'm not very i was raised religious i'm mm -hmm. not an, i'm not necessarily an atheist i don't really know what to think about a lot of this but you know um there's cer certain segment of, of Christ, Christians or you know Christianity who who I've always seen as very kind of they, they like you were talking about judgmental right. and they look at you and they they don't approve of your, what you're doing right. and whether it's you know your you know sexual orientation or whether it's you know you're drinking whatever it might be but you've always been somebody who I, I know you believe very strongly but I think uh, you're, you're the kind of person who would um, help somebody that maybe you disagreed with every aspect of their life. Sure. You would help them if, if they needed help. Maybe because I came from that place where I know I did everything worthy of being judged, <laughs> mm -hmm. and yet I was forgiven. How could I not forgive anybody else and work with them or show them all due respect or even love them if they're unlovely? Because that was pretty unlovely when God found me. So I, I've probably had that openness. Well, it served me well in this particular campaign, and, uh, and then I ended up uh, being paired under the redistricting 
with a good friend of mine who was also in the legislature, and her and I were put in the primary. Who was that? Um, I'll think of her name in a second. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's been tw- oh, 20 years ago almost. Um, and so uh, her and I uh, got uh, put as incumbents together, and we had to uh, ask the people of the interior, who do you want? Well, she said she wasn't going to run and uh, changed her mind halfway through and decided to run. Uh-oh. And so I had already put uh, my name out, put the investment in, and uh, she chose to, to do that. So her and I ran uh, for the same seat, and I treated her totally respectfully because she was an incumbent, had done good things. So it was a primary. Yep. Well, I got the nod. And so then I ran against several people who were Democrat challengers, but it was a Republican district. So along about 10 years in, I thought, man, this I've had 10 years. I would like to do something else with my life. So as a praying man, I said, okay, Lord, <laughs> I quit. Uh, I will do something else. At that point, I was the rules chairman in the uh, House. I had been majority leader prior to that. So I'd, I'd had a pretty significant say in many of the debates that have happened, oil tax debates. We, I mean, we had some uh, pretty raucous debates, the budget issues, uh, telecom issues. Uh, if you remember correctly, I was in the House when many Republicans were going to jail. So it was, yeah, that was just a, a thing. It was yeah. a tough, tough time. And, uh, but I managed to keep my nose clean. And so I thought, I don't, I don't see you taking any kind of bribe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see you being that guy. So, uh, by the way, I had been, uh, recorded by the FBI and, really? uh, they had me under surveillance for two years while they were checking these people out. So one day I was flying wow. back, one day I was flying back from Seattle uh, on a trip and I was sitting next to this guy who was an FBI agent. And I said, man, I said, uh, uh, FBI agent. I said, I've been questioned by the FBI and I've been bugged by it. He says, I know. And, oh my gosh. And he said, I had to transcribe these things. I said, I hope I was boring. And he said, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'm sure he was like, we had much better people. To, <laughs> so uh, that was a good confirmation. Anyway, uh, so at the time where I was thinking 10 years, that's good. Uh, Gene Terrio, who was my senator, decided to step out and go to work in the administration and I was asked if I'd be willing to be a part of the uh, selection process for the Senate. There was two other people that the party had chosen. Uh, one of them uh, was uh, Miller, who had been a previous uh, Senate president. Uh, and uh, another one was a new guy from uh, Valdez, who both were highly respected. So uh, your, your district went all the way to Valdez at the time? Yep. Wow. So, so, so I, I just put my name in. Uh, and it was under the Parnell administration, and he picked me. And the 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 agreement was, if you run for this uh, remaining year of the term, we'd ask you to run for the next term, which was a two-year term, which I agreed to do. Was that that was so? That had to be redistricting, or that was I guess redistricting was after. That was before. Yeah, it was before redistricting. So the redistricting came along after that two year, and uh, I ran because. Um, uh, at that point, there was nobody willing to step up to that. So I thought. So you, okay. you didn't originally have any intent to go for the, the Senate, but this Ontario no. thing happened. And yeah. Did and you think you were going to get? I mean, you put your name in. Did you think you were going to get picked, or did you? I knew I had a good chance, uh, but I also knew that uh, Mike Miller, who was a very popular guy uh, with the Republicans, uh, also could get the. You, you had worked with Parnell when he was in the legislature, right? right. You had known yeah. him. 
I knew him. And uh, I was, I held it as dispassionate as I can without, you know, you can sound arrogant by doing that, by saying, oh yeah, I, you know, I just let, but the fact that they wanted to put their names up uh, deserved the respect due. So I just, I put myself as an equal amongst those folks and said, hey, I, I'd be willing to do it, but these guys are equally as good. So you guys get some choice. Now you've been in since, what, that's uh, about 10 years later. Yeah, no, it's 10 years later. Uh, and in the meanwhile, redistricting happened. I got put in the same district as Joe Thomas, who is also an I, incumbent uh, senator. I remember that. I remember that. And... So the question again arose is, should I enter in the race and give the people a choice? Because now the district was split between a Republican and a Democrat. Because that, that was a big that was a big race, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that it was a race. big race. And so uh, at, at that point, uh, I was uh, uh, at, had gotten to the majority leader spot in the Senate, and I was part of the leadership team, and I was uh, I was moving along pretty good. I started off in the minority in the you, Senate. You were in that four member minority, right? At one point, With yes. You, Senator Giesel, um, Senator T- uh, Dyson. Who was the last one? Was it Bundy? Con- Senator Bundy? No, no. Uh, well, Con Bundy uh, was at one point in the minority. Uh, but that but, four uh, member the, minority. The four member. Uh, it was Charlie Huggins. Huggins, yes. Yeah, so Charlie Huggins, Senator Huggins, yeah. Senator Giesel, Senator Dyson, and you. Yeah. And that was that's below the the threshold of five right. where you can actually but they know. still treated us fairly i mean we got on committees and and people did treat us fairly a lot of it was because we treated them with due respect and uh and to the credit of the other three uh we were able to work with them uh, so uh i went from being uh the minority guy uh then to being a majority leader and and then i got this uh seat where uh we got uh, paired up and uh, I won that seat uh, pretty handily, actually. It was actually. 2012, wasn't it? Uh, uh, you probably got a better handle on it. I, I think do. it was because... These, na- these years run I, I ran for I ran against Senator McGuire in the primary. I think that was redistricting happened, yeah. Could then, very well be. Because I remember the big, they were, everybody was watching. That was the year everybody was watching because it was the two incumbents. You and so Senator that was Thomas. my first four-year seat in the Senate. And uh, so I was able to keep plugging along. I was uh, chairman of the judiciary and the rules. I mean, and the uh, majority leader. So I had a pretty significant. So you, spot. you went from like this tiny little minority deal to this is after the coalition yeah. got got uh, changed in the Senate, and then you went from to kind of being in the majority and being in charge in the leadership. Yeah, leadership. Yeah. And so, uh, and then the last time two years ago, uh, the mayor of Fairbanks chose to run. And, Luke uh, Hopkins, right? Luke Hopkins. You know, it's funny when I came down the first time um, to the legis- to the legislature for the swearing in. I was on the airplane. I was sitting next to this really nice woman. She was reading some kind of fantasy book, and I was just chatting with her. And, and then I said, well, "What are you? What are you doing in Juno?" And she goes, "Oh, my son's being being sworn in." And I said, "Oh, who's your son?" Grier Hopkins. And she goes, "I go, that's my husband." I go, "Oh, that's, I never met him before, uh-huh. but that was Luke Hopkins." So yeah. they were both in the same plane as me, and I was chatting with them. And, um, yeah. They're both really nice people. Yeah, they were very nice to uh, me. And uh, they're just a little more liberal than me, that's all. And the district is, like I said, very split, right, almost right down the middle. So I figured uh, that he stood a very good chance of winning. So uh, once again, as a praying man, I, uh, I asked uh, in my prayer, should I run? The answer is yes. Um, so... I just said, okay, whatever you do, you don't do half-heartedly, so you just get in there, give it your best shot, and hey, that, it is what it is that people get to choose. And uh, so uh, both of him and I uh, ran a pretty respectful race. Uh, the independent expenditures get a little more 
intense, you know, sometimes uh, after the vitriolic. After Citizens United. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, then once again, I got the nod. So here I am in the second year of that term. So I've had quite a journey getting here. Uh, I am still surprised that I'm in Juneau. And every year that I've been here, we've had special sessions bar two. Even mm-hmm. though I've been here 20 years, there's only been two years, I think, that I've actually gone home on time. So that's how intense this can get. But I've still managed to do property management. Well, I remember I, I, you have a, you have a, uh, is it a, a laundry, not laundry, what, what's your? I have a laundromat. Because I remember I called you once about, I forget what it was, I called you about something and you said, I got to call you back, something something froze or didn't some pipes freeze or something? Oh yeah, a, that was two years ago. There was a leak or something was going on, it was I got a winter. Call, I got a call from uh, Ninana, where this laundromat is, and it said, hey Cargill, your laundromat is like 20 below inside. Yeah, I remember so I called you, so I'm, I'm in the middle frozen. of something, I have to call you back. Some pipe, so pipe. I was, yeah, I'm and I'm the pipe fitter, and I'm the laundromat maintenance guy. It belongs to my dad, but I've been managing it for the last 10 years. And he's got some rental property, and I've been managing that for him. And now that he's gone, I'm the executor of all this stuff. So um, I still do it. Uh, it's kind of a labor of love, but um, it's still an income to that mm-hmm. uh, estate property. Was that? I mean, I know he passed away uh, last, last a month, month and a half right? ago. Yeah, yeah. The, right in the middle of the kind of session. Uh, was that must have been pretty pretty hard. You had to go back. But I took 10 here. days off, go. Uh, we built his casket. We dug uh, the grave in Ninana. Uh, we had a big party in Ninana. I heard there was a lot of people that went oh, down there. Oh, it for was the great. And people came from all over and wished uh, the family well, but they wanted to honor Dad because he had done so much in Alaska, way more than I've ever done or ever will do. He just happened to be the right guy in a time in history that was just solid. So I could only hope to be the right guy was, at was the he, right time. Was he born here? Or did, he, did he? He was born here in 1925. So his his par- his parents came. Yeah, my I grandmother and grandfather were immigrants from England. Oh wow! No way! So yeah. you they, could probably even get English uh, citizenship if you wanted. We have uh, well, uh, not not, not, my, with, not with Brexit. It won't do you that much. No, good with, with the EU. <laughs> Dad's brother was born in England. One of his brothers was. And uh, so, yeah, they. My grandmother was Welsh. Uh, my grandfather was Scottish, but they had. Uh, he was doing an apprenticeship for printing in Tewkesbury, England. So like my grandma was English. She right. Came over in 1930. Yeah. So when it was when I was in the Air Force, I was in five years. Four of those years, I was in England, and I got to go visit with all both of their families. It was great. Oh, wow. So why they they came to Alaska or they came to? Yeah, my uh, grandfather came uh, to British Columbia as a printer and got challenged to come to Alaska to print for the uh, gold rush, and that was in the early 1900s, 1906 or 7, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, so then he went back in 1916 and got my grandmother, married her, brought her back, and they started a store uh, in Ninana, 1917 or 16. I mean, could you imagine how it was back then? I mean, that was before. I mean, I think Anchorage was founded in 19... 19, right, or something? Yeah, 20, they, so. if you remember, the railroad didn't even uh, get through until 1925, mm-hmm. I think, 24. 24 is when they drove the Golden Spike. So, uh, And all that equipment came uh, in from the uh, uh, Panama Canal to build the railroad. So it was kind of interesting. Most of it came through Seward, and a lot of it came down. Uh, supplies came from Dawson down the river, the Yukon River up to Tanana. So you're, you're a... So very entrenched in the nan- your family, very yep. entrenched. And do you have, have you ever uh, won the cl- 
won the classic? Have you ever tried? I haven't. Dad has. Really? He's uh, won it twice. I, I, I one year I bought a bunch of tickets and I was, I said, oh, I'm five minutes off, and I got all excited. I'm like, oh, I won, and then it's like seven people got the exact minute. I said, oh, never mind. I didn't. And then one year I heard one time this lady won twice over several years. She won uh-huh. it and then won it again, and yeah. it was like that when one of the years where only a few people had got it, so it was quite a bit of money. Dad was uh, in 1951 won it all by himself. And we, God, it's been around since that long. Jeez. Yeah. He built a roadhouse. Uh, well, the, the ice classic's been there since 1917, I think. So it's been a long time. Wow. But Dad built a roadhouse uh, that I grew up in. Uh, it was a 20 room roadhouse that we turned into a 10 room road, roadhouse that we got to live in half of it. And we had a, uh, a cafe uh, in one half that my mom ran. Who were the just like miners or just workers? It or? was. Uh, well, back in the 50s, it was uh, uh, people that were working uh, on the river. Okay. And then uh, then Clear Air Force Station in the 60s was being built, and so we housed them. And then the Parks Highway was being built, and we housed them. Right, met all kinds of characters. Yeah, huh? and so for 30 years, we had a good run. And then uh, when I talk about rental apartments, it turned into rental apartments after the 67 flood. Is it still there? Yeah, still there. I still run it. In fact, it that's, has a laundromat in it. That's the one you were talking. Okay, yeah. wow. I'll have to, next time I get up there, maybe I'll come. I'll yeah, come check it it's out. called Tortilla Lodge. It's a it's a little log building that you'll see there. It's got two wings, and both wings had ten rooms in them, and they've been converted to apartments. So, um, to, we'll maybe have a few more minutes of discussion. We're normally about thirty minutes, but you have such a fascinating all these stories. We could <laughs> do a lot longer. So right now, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's the, the permanent fund issue. There's the the budget issue, there's some of the criminal justice. I mean, the Senate seems to be a lot more, I mean, you guys organized properly. There was, and the House had their kind of issue. And you guys are, I mean, you're, you're the rules chairman right now. So right. you guys are kind of plugging away. I mean, what do you think? It's probably going to go into mid-May, it seems like. Everybody's kind yeah, of Yeah, we'll probably go to the constitutional limit, mainly because the House didn't get organized until in the 40th or 45th days yeah, in that neighborhood. Uh, but if they're going to have a hard time because the governor has required a large dividend. <clears throat> and the people of Alaska elected him on that, uh, so he says. Uh, but as you can see, if that means cutting government to a huge extent, maybe we won't give a full dividend. But mm-hmm. then what does that cutting look like? Well, we're in the middle of that process. But step back uh, to a 1,000-foot level. What we have to decide in Alaska is what a dividend really is. Is it a sovereign wealth that gets to share, be shared broadly while we uh, keep government functioning because right now we're getting as much from our sovereign wealth as we are from our oil, which is what they intended in the permanent which, fund. Which is. It's interesting because a lot of people, you know, you, you go back and look, talk about what Hammond said in the, in the framers of the permanent fund. And it was always about, you know, this is a, something to have when the oil isn't as, as plentiful as it was back, back if, then. If you want to find a kind of a sentence that says it, what they meant was we're going to take a non-renewable oil yep. mm-hmm. and turn it into a renewable which they have done. And we still are putting 25% of our royalties and our sales and everything into that uh, earnings, of the permanent fund to earn money. So the question is, how do we share that wealth broadly uh, and run our government broadly, our schools, our public safety, uh, our roads, things that, that we share in common, just like I think the permanent fund is in common. It's not meant for an individual right but it's great that it's shared individually. Uh, so I think we should keep doing that. But 
whether it's an individual right or not is really the question we have to answer this year. Is it a right or is it something we get to share? And I believe it's something we share and we should share it as much as we can, but we should keep our schools in good order. Now, should they uh, be held to account? Yes. Should they be uh, under downward pressure? Yes. I think the whole government needs to be under downward pressure. Um, I'm not a big fan of, say, government gets to grow whenever it wants to grow, however it wants to grow, because it'll grow no matter what. So it has to be done under some accountability. But it also is also true that uh, sharing the wealth broadly can give the wrong impression about what you actually have in Alaska. And I think those things are under debate right well, now. I've, I've always, you know, for a long time I've said that a lot of folks will refer, refer to, you know, Hickel or... Um, uh, What's his, uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the Hammond? Other. Hammond, yeah. Um, the kind of owner state model. Right. And, and I've always said that, you know, if you're an owner state, if, if you want to be an owner state, you need to act like it. And, you know, a company doesn't, companies don't hand out big, huge dividends when they're losing money. Exactly. You know, they, they try to make decisions at the time to be the best fiscal fiduciary decisions. And, and we've been able to share it uh, lavishly. But at this point, we're not going to be able to share it lavishly. But we should still share it. And uh, do our roads and everything. And we're, if we manage it properly, we should be able to do that for a long, long well, time. Well, Senator Birch, we did a podcast a, a month ago, and you know, he made a good point. He goes, you know, with, with the oil money we have, with the revenue from the permanent fund, with the POMV draw, you can have a, a really good operating budget. You can have a decent capital budget. You can pay down the pension liability. You can have a, a, a you know modest dividend, no taxes. Right. Things, you know, that's a... Per, Compared to most states, I mean, most states would love to be in that position. Absolutely. And so we're not poor. Uh, our priorities have been put up for grabs. And this governor has done a good job of saying, we're going to cut government and pay a full dividend. And people are beginning to see what that looks like. You might not be able to get there. In fact, I think his math is going to be awful hard to add up to credibility. Well, right now, the I mean, as we speak, the House is operating the, you know, the operating budget. Or yeah. They're start debating the operating budget. And, uh, you know, they they've, uh, haven't really... Adopted the, his 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 recommended recommended budget in the even though committee. people have been pejorative about the governor, he's asking the right question: How do we live within our means? But he's tried to take the dividend outside of those means, mm -hmm. and I think you just can't do that. And I mean, That's you 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 worked he was in the Senate for, I guess twenty twelve so five yeah. years, so you yeah. you probably know him fairly, you must know him very yeah. well from being in the Senate with him. Yeah, he just thinks that that is an individual right. And him and I just have an argument about that. And he uh, was able to campaign on that. Uh, and it, it needs to be respected appropriately, but cared for thoughtfully. And I want to be one of those thoughtful guys that say, okay, we can share it, but we also need our schools. And we also, mm. now, are our schools too liberal? Yes. But are you going to shut them down? No. So then what? How do, you, how do you improve on what you've got? And I'm willing to keep working on that. And, uh, and still pay a dividend, but still keep our schools functioning healthy. So, uh, uh, and we have capital budgets. Our buildings aren't getting any newer. They're getting older. Uh, we need to do some deferred maintenance. Things like that are going to come up, uh, and that's totally appropriate. Should government be all things to all people? No. And should we start thinning some of those things down? Yes. And so I appreciate what the governor's doing. He's making us ask those tough questions. And we squirm and we kick and we carry on. They're totally appropriate questions. So here we are, 2019. It's a moment in time. And yes, we're under a hot debate. But if, if you look at five years on either side of us, 
it's just a point in time that we got to figure out what's the best priority for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years. How do we take care of the, the commerce for the next 20 years so that our kids have the capacity to grow, whether it's roads or buildings or schools? And so we've got to be thinking about how do we get the next generation situated the best we can with our time. Mm-hmm. And I think paying a full dividend would be foolish on that kind of thinking. Uh, That's a very short term, you know, give it to me now instead of looking down the road. um, But the question is, is it a fundamental right? Because if it is a fundamental right, according to the people of Alaska, and and they are in charge, um, then we've got to change the way we do business in very dramatic ways. Well, we'll see see if, I guess, that one of his proposed amendments is to put it in the Constitution. I guess it'll be one one way to find out what, what the legislature thinks. And if they... and, and I know today he was doing a press conference yeah, that, that was saying, reiterating that, and I just think he's so wrong. And I hope the people of Alaska uh, don't buy into that. I think putting a dividend as a fundamental right in our Constitution right along the freedom of speech I think is dead wrong. Well, it's, it's also the sure, surest way to, to ensure we'll have taxes because if that's in there and there's another price, mm-hmm. oil price crash or something – then all of a sudden there's no other way to get revenue than yeah. you know, income taxes or sales taxes. or I'm not a big tax. fan of income tax, but I'm not a absolute no on income tax. It's just that we have to get some of these parameters set in place. I mean, if I was against taxes, I wouldn't tax the oil companies. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And if I was against taxes, I wouldn't have a raw fish tax. And So you have to think about how do we keep the state uh, in good order to protect the people, give good rules to play by, and build infrastructure. I mean, and, and help the feds understand that we all share this geography, stuff like that. And so uh, I'm not a total anti-tax guy, but I tell you what, the income tax is the last one I'll do. Uh, so we got to do my, my point was that Governor Dunleavy has been, been very, out, you know, no tax, no income taxes, no other taxes, but but putting the con- dividend in the Constitution was is probably the best way to ensure some kind of tax when, yeah. you, when you have no option, other, so, other option to raise revenue. So my principle is, Let's figure out the dividend, and then if we do tax ourselves, it's got to be very broad, like a sales tax, and low. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got to be able to chime in. I mean everybody. If we do an income tax, it's very targeted. It only reaches about uh, 170, 180,000 people. If you do a sales tax, it's a million visitors. It's your military. It's uh, people who have discretionary cash that, that even get state assistance. So it's broad as long as it's low and broad. Uh, that's the principle. If we can do that in an income tax, somebody's got to show me how. But I don't know how. Uh, maybe just a flat 5% tax across the board. Maybe that's what it is. But uh, I'm open to that discussion. Um, I think people chipping in is a great thing. It's just that we don't need them to chip in while we're figuring out this priority of getting our government under control and uh, deciding what a dividend should be from our sovereign wealth. Remember, sovereign wealth. The people are the sovereigns, yes, but do they get a piece of the school? Do they get to go into the school anytime? Do they get to pull up their chunk of the road anytime they want? No, it's ours generally, and so is the uh, permanent fund. Yeah. Well, speaking a minute ago, you talked about the future. Do you, You're up next year, right, next 2020? 2020, yes, would be a time that this seat comes up for so what, what do you have any? Have you made a decision on that yet, or are you still? I have not. I'm a praying man, and uh, I, I don't presume anything. If somebody good really wants to run, I might uh, get behind them and help them. And then after that, 2022, there'll be a redistricting, so that could change. That would be the only reason that I would continue to run is people may not know what that district would look like, and they might ask me to continue on 
uh, until they know how the districts would shake out. Have they determined yet? Uh, will that be a two-year seat or a four-year seat? They have not determined. Okay, so that, that's what the board will determine. Yeah, because some of those seats will be two-year seats. Yeah, all that is fine with me. I've had a, a good time serving the people of Alaska. I have found out this. There's a lot of people all over Alaska doing their dead level best to make this the best place in the world to live, and I'm going to help them wherever I can. There are some bad actors. There are some people that are uh, arrogant and proud and uh, dirty and criminals. We need to hold them to account. We need not to let them have the rule, uh, but there's a lot of good people just doing everything they can to make the state work, and I want to help them. Yeah, I've always said that you know, the majority, vast majority of people in public service or you know, public office, they, they, they want to get to the same place, they, they might have a different yeah. means of getting there, but 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 mo- most, with a few exceptions, most most almost everybody I deal with is you know they're they're here for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. So, well, Senator Cockula, I appreciate your time. This has been a great. Po- I love your office here. This is the Thank rules you. rules chairman office, right? Rules chair office. <laughs> yep. So it's uh, pretty pretty. Uh, some some of the offices are kind of pretty tiny. <laughs> I like the I like the. Well, as you can see, I can host a lot of people in here, and I I do often. You can maybe, maybe we can have a little. Uh, We'll party here sometime, right? <laughs> oh, easy does it. <laughs> Remember, I'm too straight laced for right, that. That's right, yeah. That's maybe, maybe a long time ago. Okay, Senator Cockell, I really appreciate your time, and this has been a great podcast. And um, Thank you very much. I appreciate you it. the Capitol. Folks, if you have any ideas for podcasts or want to do a podcast, uh, let me know, and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Landline.